Here we welcome to A Lot of Things, the talk show about everything. I'm your host, Carl Sardella. Today we are talking with another person who's passionate about something very cool that I love as well. We're talking about video games with Kelsey Lewin. Hi. Hey. And that's me. I'm Kelsey Lewin. You are that person. Yeah. If you weren't, it'd be weird. It would be weird. Yeah. I'd be uh, surprised you found someone who looked just like me. Just like you. Let's talk about video games. You have a big announcement that you just had happen. Yeah. Uh, so I was just, and this is, it's a big announcement because it just happened to now be public, but it's been on my Twitter profile and on my LinkedIn for a couple months now. So if you're paying attention. Which I wasn't, now no, I feel okay. bad. No, no one was. Um, so I am the co-director of the Video Game History Foundation. Nice. And yeah, we're a 501c3 nonprofit preserving the history of video games. And I've been with the organization in some capacity since like one month after it launched. I basically was just bothering them until uh, they let me do stuff. And so I've, I've been volunteering and helping out and, you know, consulting and project managing and whatnot for like, I don't know, how many years ago was 2017? Um, I don't know, hey. math? <laughs> Two and a half years Two? now. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you, I think that's a lo- how it happens a lot of times. You're like, listen, I'm passionate about this. Yeah. And I really want to help you in some way. And yeah, your organization's cool. This felt special. I was like, you know, sometimes I get a no and I'm just kind of like, eh, whatever, I'll go back to what I'm doing. But I was like, no, I'm going to help. You, yeah. You don't tell me no. <laughs> I'm going to sleep in this doorway <laughs> until you I'm answer. I'm going to help. Yeah. They're really cool. I remember hearing about them and we have a connection through that. All right, I'm curious. Yeah, this is interesting. So I went to the website. It's uh, gamehistory.org. <laughs> Sound like Johnny Carson for a minute. <laughs> hey, it's uh, Game History. Is that Johnny Carson? That is not. This is all cut. Uh, <laughs> gamehistory.org. And it's a really cool organization, and I've followed it for a while. I went to their homepage, and on their homepage, they're talking about the preservation of video games. That's what we're talking about today, uh, part of the talk. And one of those things is preserving the game publications, the magazines. Now, I'm a big, huge lover of EGM, which, for those listening at home, Electronics Gaming Monthly, I grew up with it. Did you kind of grow up with it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I was more of a, like, Game Informer kid. But okay, yeah. I mean, friends had EGM. I was familiar with it. It was still around. Yeah. So it was like the Bible for us, and it literally almost felt like that because some of the old episodes were, like, really, really thick. Hundreds and hundreds of pages, and it was like having this you know, gift almost, uh, talking about the games. Yeah, well, it's like the only thing you read that whole month, right? That was it, yeah. Because there was no <laughs> internet, people. That's a thing that happened. No internet. I even had internet for a big part of that, and I still was just, like, kind of too stupid to realize that you could search for news on the internet, like, oh. specific to your own interests. Yeah. You're so, like, it's just the internet. It's got what it has like, on like, it. Like, did chat rooms, like the AOL chat rooms and, like, that sort of thing, but it, it never occurred to me that, like, there's probably also news about video games outside yeah. of the AOL homepage that I can, like, search for. Missed that entirely. And well, for a couple of years. Then but, you got you caught know. up. And then I got caught up. So magazines are a huge <laughs> thing. I love EGM. I love GamePro and all those ones. So there's a guy named Frank. He's what? The main person? At yeah, your? he's the founder and other director. Okay, Frank, last name? Frank Cifaldi. That guy. Yeah. So he has a collection of magazines, and my buddies are the guys who made Outerlands, the documentary series about oh. video games. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. yeah. So Cesar and Matt, they're my friends, and we uh, were in San Francisco making web shows together. And so, yeah, their w- first episode, or one of the first ones, yep. was on him. Yeah, and I think... I think that's still on the website. Yeah, I think it is, yeah. On our website. You should go there. Uh, The website again. 
GameHistory.org. Game yeah, you got it. And uh, check out the Outerlands episode. And also just go to Area 5 Outerlands. It's a really cool series. They've been working on it for a while. Uh, it reminds me of Danny's No Clip series. Yeah. Um, and they were like the kind of orig- originating that whole like mini documentary thing. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. So that's they're cool. cool, and that's our connection. That's exciting. Yeah. I was curious. I'm like, what? I mean, you know, we've got a board of directors. Maybe you knew someone. I don't oh, know. Oh, no, yeah. Hey, Frank, you know him? We, we, go, long, we go a long way back. He kind of knows everyone, so that wouldn't surprise me. Oh, okay. He seems really nice and friendly. He's so is anything, do you have any specific thing that you do for them now? Like, is it like a, now that you've na- been named that? So, so here's the kind of situation there is like, there's two of us. The foundation is technically two people. And, you know, we're not, I'm not getting paid the big bucks to do this or anything. This yeah, is volunteer yeah. based and it is a, it is a love, you know, a work of passion and not a, uh, uh, career yet that's you know I think that's pretty close on the horizon but we do a lot of stuff and I, my job is everything I mean it's I'm learning about everything from fundraising to the actual you know preservation stuff itself um, the biggest project I could probably talk about because this sort of gives you like a general scope of what it means to like save some of this stuff uh, we focus a lot on the ephemeral stuff around video game history so of course everyone agrees the games need to be saved right like everyone agrees that we shouldn't let a video game not exist anymore that's not like disappear yeah that's not an argument you need to make with anyone anymore they're like they're on board they're like yeah let's make sure that we have roms dumped and you know people own the physical games and it's accessible and available whatever um so what we focus on is the stuff that i think everyone forgets it's not enough to have a game, you want to have, if you're, wanting telling, if you're wanting to tell a story about a game. So I got into this because I am a researcher and um, really enjoy telling these stories about random, you know, mostly obscure items. If all I had was the item itself, I wouldn't be able to really tell you all that much about it. I could tell you, you know, we could look at the game, we could look at what it looks like and all of that stuff, and maybe there's a manual, maybe there's a box, whatever, but it doesn't really tell you the story it doesn't Mm. tell you where did it come from what did people think about it at the time um who worked on this or you know what changes were made to this during the development how what was the evolution of it all of that comes from all of the ephemeral stuff and that's really public stuff like a magazine that Mm -hmm. did reviews or maybe had columns where people wrote about it or whatever um all the way to development materials you know uh even prototypes of the game, of course, fall under that. But design documents, sketches. Um, there's a great. Right. Are, are you familiar with the Strong Museum of Play in Rochester? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, so yeah. Strong Museum of Play, fantastic museum um, in Rochester, New York, and they have an archive of game stuff. Now they're they're a museum of play, so it's not just video games. They do like you know everything from I don't know Furbies to Whoa, you know what? Ball in a cup. I was on board for a little while until I heard that word. They're evil, right? Can we all agree on yeah. that? Yeah, okay. Oh, totally. Yeah, they shouldn't have. Let's get rid of those. Let's call, we'll talk to them after. Um, so they have an archive, and in their archive, they have a couple of special collections from developers where they've just kind of picked up everything in their room, everything they worked on, oh, their sketches, cool. whatever. And, uh, you know, if you're a researcher and you want to go look at this, you can go to the 
uh, research library at the Strong Museum of Play, and you can check it out and you know sit at a table and look through. Have it you been there? I have. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so, like for instance, they have a uh, Jordan Mechner's collection. That's the guy who made Karataka, Prince of Persia. Mm -hmm. um, he has like stuff I would have never thought of uh, as part of game development. I mean, of course, you've got drawings and you've got um, you know things like that that you might manuals, I don't know. Um, but he also has like a piece of paper where he wrote down all of his different ideas for what to call Karataka. Oh, so that's it's awesome. With yeah, like yeah, some yeah. of them like, like strike throughed out, you know, it, it's just those Super things, karate man. Yeah, you would never know that that, 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 that maybe he considered it, the title yeah. Super Karate Man. Yeah, yeah. And that's not an entire story in and of itself, but when you're presented with all of that stuff yes. together, you can get a really good picture. I mean, Jordan Mechner's still alive and well, uh, so let's you could talk to him too, yeah, theoretically, yeah, yeah. and get an even better uh, story. But, but as we move forward... Right, as we move forward, video games are starting to get to, to the point where uh, some of these guys are not with us anymore. Not with us, yeah. And we need those things to be able to tell these stories in the yep. future. So that is the kind of thing that we're really concerned about. Development stuff can be pretty difficult to get because... It's usually in the hands of a company. They don't yes. want you to look at it. It's intellectual property, blah, blah, blah. That was my question for you, actually. Uh, part of this is, like, what can publishers and developers do to help facilitate this? Steal from work. <laughs> That's the answer? <laughs> oh, my God, this is the YouTube clip. Just so you guys know, to help preserve video games, you need to steal from your workplace. Steal, steal your We've own stuff back. This is, that's a quote that I stole from uh, Jason Scott, who does the Internet Archive. Uh, that's, okay. that's not mine. No, I know. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. I remember hearing but it's, that. Yeah, it, that's, yeah, that's the answer, because one of the big things we're working on is industry advocacy, so that there is a, you know, we nudge the door open a little bit more, try to get game publishers on board with the idea of people studying this stuff and telling the stories mm -hmm. of it and learning from it and, you know, all of that good stuff. That's a slow process. In the meantime, yeah. if you can't steal from work, take pictures of Take pictures. Stuff Again, <laughs> like, these are all things that end up on Twitter. <laughs> and she's advocating it, and I'm fine with that. Yeah. I'm a lot of things says steal from work. That's our message. Um, it was interesting as I work for a game developer now. Without, that guy over there works with me. Oh, uh, wait, no. <laughs> wait, okay, okay, this is definitely all cut. But no, I think that, if anything, we've been uh, very transparent with our community, and i.e. the world then, right? If we send something out as a game developer to Twitter or wherever, YouTube, it becomes that public knowledge that you can scrape yeah. and go, let's check and, this out. And that's that's a definitely a great forward step that I think a lot of developers are starting yes. to do. Um, I think it's Double Fine that did a pretty detailed like blog breakdown of like I think they showed off like their budget and some other random things on like they just did it as a blog post and that's mm. that's awesome. Yeah. I don't expect big publishers to do that. Um, but especially for indie studios and stuff, the more transparent you can be, I mean people first of all enjoy that. It like is a good marketing tactic to be like, look at what we almost put in the game or look at right. you know early sketches of this character or whatever. All of that. Because it's honesty great. too, right? Yeah. yeah. People like that. People are fans of you know, if they're following you, they're a fan of what it's become, and they'll probably enjoy the journey of how it got there, yes, too. So 100%. Did you watch the God of War documentary? I did not. Yeah, so that, anybody listening, uh, and Matt's seen it, 
is an incredible documentary, and again, it was done from inside, similar to what I'm going to be starting actually in September with Midwinter. We can advertise them, their game Scavengers. I'm working on the community side of that, and I'm creating a mini documentary yeah. of the whole process because I know that, again, the people who are enjoying the experience and they want this game, they're going to want to hear that story. Absolutely. At the same time. So, yeah. So, um, we kind of got off on a tangent there. No, I, I love it. Kind of forgot where I was going with all of this, but. Uh, the point is, we need all of that stuff. It's harder to. The point get is still from your work. Yeah. Well, that's I think it's, what you're it's saying. It's harder. It's harder to get from publishers and you know from studios than it is to get from other sources where we have maybe where we are talking about other things that are important but aren't the dev material itself, right. um, which is the press stuff. Um, and I don't just mean what's published press stuff. I mean if you were a journalist, um, especially back in like the 80s and 90s you were handed or mailed physical papers, physical prototypes of stuff, and that information is, you know, that's not on the internet. It's largely gone. It was actual papers that they handed you at CES or E3 or whatever. Um, so the good news is uh, we just spent five weeks at Game Informer offices in Minneapolis. All right. And uh, it was the entire month of May. So Game Informer has been around since 1991, um, they only moved buildings once, and it was towards the very beginning. And they had a file drawer where they just, every press release, every press kit, everything they were ever sent, just went straight into this file drawer, wow. and they shut the door. And that's the same thing with all the press CDs they got. You know, it, they're hoarders, and that's fantastic. Yes. So, um we started a conversation with uh, Editor-in-Chief Andy McNamara a couple of years ago, and it finally got to the point where we are like, let's just come up there, and we'll come with a team of volunteers, and we will just get as much of this scanned and dumped and whatever as we possibly can. How much did you get? There are 12,000 DVDs and CDRs. That you have? Um, we don't have them. Oh, okay. We were working on getting the data from them. Ah. Um, and that's a whole, I mean, that's an ongoing conversation, of course, but Also, ripping DVDs safe. is terrible, isn't it? Oh, it's terrible. It's like the worst process yeah. ever. How many have got science? Come yeah, on. Yeah, we did not get through all 12,000. <laughs> yeah, it's impossible. Like, Even over like the forever. course of an entire month. Yeah. Um, we scanned, oh, God all but like a drawer and a half full of paperwork. And the paperwork is really, really like, so we not only, it was organized by company already, right? Um, and we took that, and then we also put it all in chronological order. Oh, shit. And that sounds like, you know, for a press releases, a lot of time they have dates on them, so that part was easy. Um, but, oh, like fact sheets and stuff, like a lot of time they don't. So we were doing like, you were doing Detective in your head. work. Oh my to goodness! To figure out where these were put was this part of this E3 packet? Was this part of this? Oh Anyways, it was man. a lot of fun. Yeah. It was a great puzzle. Uh, but we got through a lot of that. Then we carefully used a micro spatula to debind all of the paperwork. Okay, I don't know what that word was. Uh, micro so what now? Micro spatula. So. Does anybody else know that word? <laughs> oh, someone says yes, and someone's like, "Dude, no." So you know, staple removers just kind of like tear the whole thing out, right? Yeah, uh -huh. Leave a big old gaping hole in yep. the paper. Okay. So we don't want to do that. Right. 
So we take this teeny tiny little metal tool and you carefully bend the staples back so that uh, you can okay. slip it out. There you know. Or can we sponsor by them? Is there a brand that's good? Is there a micro spatula brand? Micro spatula brand? <laughs> we love them. I don't think it's needed by like anyone. Nice. but Besides what you were doing <laughs> specifically. That's um, so cool. You must have got so much data though. We did. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's safe now. Again, there's two of us and we are working with a, you know, we're working with Game Informer to figure out what exactly that means. I know they want to do some content with it. They have done a little bit of content with it, actually. Um, and I think there's going to be a feature on it in the next magazine, oh, actually. Oh, cool. You heard it here first. Um, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, that's, I think it, it is difficult to change people's minds about process. And so you have a publisher, a game press, you have developers, you have publishers, you have all the three of those people. Yeah. They've all got to like be like, why do I want to care about this? And and the real, I mean, the real obstacle is the lawyers. Oh, it's always the lawyers. Any lawyers in the house? Get out of <laughs> here. I don't blame that. Like, they're doing Just their leave. job. They're doing their job. The lawyers are, <laughs> that's what they were hired to do, right. is to protect and be as conservative as possible. So... You know, it, like I said, it's a slow baby steps conversation, but, uh, you know, that is a big part of what we're doing is that advocacy towards, like, let's talk about the idea of letting, you know, uh, baby steps. So it's like maybe one researcher can go in and privately look at one thing. Right. And we, we go from there. And you know who's leading the charge on this, by the way? You know who's the most progressive of all the game companies when it comes no, to this? You'll I never guess it. Uh, wait. Non-progressive game companies. You nailed it. Oh, yeah. the audience member it nails is it. EA. Yeah. <laughs> EA has an in-house preservation team. Wow. Yeah. Maybe it's because they're Canadian, eh? <laughs> is that, are those things related? <laughs> I don't know. They're really nice people. I'll cut that too. Continue. <laughs> it's gonna be a lot of cutting. Um, yeah. EA has an in-house preservation team and. Like they're working on backing up That's all so cool. of their stuff. Uh, they gave a great talk at GDC this year about what their process is, and then we had like an hour long conversation with them. So, so you just talk up with them, and you're like, "Hey, you're already doing it, so can we have some of it for our thing?" Uh, I mean, kind of. <laughs> My concern is that it's safe. Um, concern number two is accessible. You know what I mean? Like, mm. you start with it not disappearing literally. Well, that was my question, is, like, the follow-up to this whole discussion is, where is this stuff? Now, say you preserve it, whatever that means. Like, another company decides to do that on their own, and they help and hook up with you. Where does the public get to see it? Well, right now, there's just not really a notion of that. That's something that, you know, that we're working towards and that I think a lot of people are working towards. But you're talking about setting up an entire digital library system accessible in a way that every publisher is comfortable with. And I mean, this, this is honestly just way too big of a thing for two people to be figuring out right the second. Right, right, right. Um, You're like, Carlos, let off. So, I'm working on it. <laughs> so exactly. So uh, safety of this stuff is priority number one, and that is absolutely a thing that's in the works. But we are doing one thing that's at least sort of publicly accessible that we're working on right now, which is um, a library. A physical it, library. A physical library of game publications. In and where? In Emeryville, California, which is Oakland. Uh, okay. Um, that's where the office is located. Okay. So we have, I wish I had a number for this. Um, we have at least, uh, I mean, it's thousands and thousands of magazines, um, floor to ceiling, 
Oh, that sounds so yummy. <laughs> um, and it's all kinds of publications. I think we've identified over 200 publications. We have at least a few issues of. Um, a lot of the bigger ones were complete on or basically complete on. I think we have nine complete runs of magazines. We have uh, everything from GamePro. We are missing like two EGMs. Oh. Uh, we're missing some of the more modern Game Informer, but we have like everything else. You know, same Nintendo with Powers. Uh, we have everything in Nintendo Power up to like 2000, I believe, and then it's okay. kind of spotty after that. But yeah, those are so cool. Like I can still go back and read those. Yeah. And I, this is kind of a tangent discussion I want to have with you. Um, it's great that you're doing all that work. I'm so excited for that, and I'm excited to see what comes out of that. Like you said, when it's kind of public consumption or something that happens where, yes, all that data is safe, but then later maybe people can check it out. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it, we're always moving towards that, and we're not the only preservation group out there either. Yeah, oh, and yeah, yeah. There's we're a basically, couple, yep. and we're all working towards something. Right now, I think the safest place to put anything is the Internet, internet Archive. Yes, I love them. Archive.org. Yep. They're so and cool. I still suggest that. If you have anything, like, the best thing to do is just throw it up there. Yeah. Yeah, I have old music of mine up there, yep. like from bands and stuff. And yep. I'm like, yeah, that's going to live there forever. And also, I'm like, wait, that song was terrible. Let's take it It doesn't down. matter. It doesn't matter because it's, it's for the everybody. Yeah. It's for the future generation. It's generations. for the future. Th my thought was, I really want to go down this rabbit hole for a minute, is with gaming press and the old school gaming press, which, again, I love, and the magazines, which were my entire life, there just isn't that same feeling. And I want to try to figure out what that feeling is. When I opened up a magazine and I read which I got to meet a lot of these people who worked in EGM. So they're friends of mine now, like Dan Shu. I would read his reviews. And it was like a big deal. It made me feel like uh, part of the industry before there was the internet. Oh, absolutely. And I was like, oh, I'm kind of hearing like inside information about the game. And I'm also hearing about new games before they even come out. And then there's like a Japan column. Yeah, the I'm problem like, is like Twitter and just the, like information's instant now. So You're just giving no me the answer right now. Yeah. That's why it's not special. You can't, it, you can't make it special anymore because you can't get a significant amount of that at once. It just comes, it just trickles through constantly. Or you can get all of it too and, you, and none of you it's special because yeah. it's not selective. Right. Right, like I'm getting this one thing I'm telling my friend Jerry, I'm like, hey Jerry, look at this. You know, we're seeing it together in that moment. But it's not like something can tweet and everybody knows about it immediately. Right. So it's almost like not as special either. Yeah. I'm just saying things that made me depressed <laughs> at this point. Is that okay? But the cool thing about magazines, like as a historian looking back, is like, th yeah, this is how you would get news, but also the first opinions and the first looks at things. Yes. And also coverage and or lack of coverage can be telling too. So like trying to think of a good example off the top of my head. Um, Animal Crossing was released in Japan a couple years before it came out over here. And sometimes magazines do report on games that they don't know are going to come out in America oh, yeah, yeah, or not, yeah. right? Um, and basically, no one reported on it because, which is weird because there's a Nintendo first party, like a right. new Nintendo thing. Um, but it was just kind of like this quaint thing, you know, People were kind of already looking towards the, the future of, uh, you know, the GameCube was coming out soon. Oh, and right. And so they were like, U.S. audiences wouldn't get it either. Probably, yeah, they just kind of, you know, it got a footnote in a couple of magazines. And then even when it was announced for the U.S., it was super, super quiet because it was announced right alongside 
Super Smash Brothers Melee oh. and a bunch of footage of Metroid Prime and some footage of, uh, I think it was like what was supposed to be Twilight Princess, um, but it was actually just like, oh, like a demo, like thing? a demo yeah. Link fighting mm-hmm. Ganon. Like it wasn't. I don't think it was from an actual game, but like, but they were like those That's were the Zelda. graphics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those like really intense, brand new, super realistic graphics, and so. Animal Crossing, like, taking up five seconds of time during this long trailer at, at E3, it's like, you just skipped right over and it. And then again, E3 was different then, too. Yeah, this E3 was... E3 was more of like a, you need to be in this moment. Yeah, this was in the Millennium Biltmore Hotel uh, Ballroom, which is that really glitzy one mm-hmm. in LA <laughs> that looks ridiculous. It does. Um, and it's, you know, it's a room that seats like a hundred people or whatever, a couple hundred people. It's not like it is today. Oh, nowadays, yeah. Like, there's Worldwide. video, th- yeah. There's uh, video footage of like just I don't know some outlet like was recording the whole thing, and you can hear all the individual comments from journalists as things are popping up because it's just such a small room. What is this? So, animals talking to each other? No, no one even commented on it. It was just silence. Wow, it's great. Was that the, somewhere on the internet? That yeah, clip? Yeah. The best part though is when they show off melee, and you can really clearly hear some journalists go, "What?" Ice climbers. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I thought they're just like what to the concept in general, but <laughs> yeah, that thing is massive. We were talking about Evo and how massive that's become. I mean, it's it's a people win money for playing that game. Yeah. Uh, well, that was a fun tangent. Uh, what was the other thing I was going to ask you? Sega Gremlin, I have written down here because uh, you have a blog uh, on the hold on gamehistory.org, uh, and it's uh, it's really cool because it talks about a lot of stuff with. Uh, kind of the past and retro gaming. Yeah, and those and are actually like mostly just, they're mostly not written by us. Okay, They're mostly like, written by contributors and like right. they, who are paid to create content. But that's still that. cool because it's like all around the same idea of like, hey, this is what games were and this is what we're like looking back at. It's it. interesting stories. Yeah, yeah one's on, you should check out, it's called uh, Sega Gremlin because Sega used to be Sega, like an American company. And then also there was a Japanese division and they made these terrible ads. I might be telling you something that you don't know, which never happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, I'm the terrible ads. There was a Gremlin ads. It was Gremlin. basically like Gremlin and Sega worked together. And they were making ads for like pinball games and arcade oh, games okay. and stuff. Oh, I see. Yeah. And it was like they were like, "This is not really Sega. It's like this weird version." They called them Sega Gremlin. I might be talking my ass. Okay, here. I'm, yeah. I'm this is also not, cut. Not super familiar with what you're talking. You're taking about. notes, right? It's cut. <laughs> Uh, but I do like all the video game ads, though, like the old school video game ads. That uh, was in the blog, too. I like those. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a great article in there. I want to say that was Kate Willard that wrote that one. It's With about all the old school trying ads. to find the very first video game ad. Oh. Which. That might have been it. Yeah. Goes back pretty freaking far. It's like question quiz. And it was like this yeah. old 70s kind of yeah. picture. Yeah. 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 There's some really good, interesting research on that blog. It's not a very active blog, but what's up there is What's up there is really cool. Really good. Check it out. Um, I will segue into this. Uh, what's interesting is that you are a video game historian. Also, go to your YouTube channel. If anybody watching on the YouTube channel doesn't already go there, what's the YouTube name? It's just my name. It's just YouTube.com slash Kelsey Lewin. Yep. L-E-W-I-N. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, every video is great because you do that research. You spend a long time. And you really get to the bottom of every single thing that you're talking about, including a video, like a Nintendo sewing machine was one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Which is cool I to went watch. to some, some pretty good lengths for that one, yeah. too. I imported a uh, Japanese 
version of that sewing machine because they had like five or six colors in Japan. We only got a blue one. Okay. And it's manufactured by a different, or not manufactured, but it's got a different company's branding on it there versus here. Oh. Jaguar, which is a Japanese brand, versus uh, uh, Singer right, right, over right. here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I needed a pink one. So I imported a pink one. You got it. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> watch your videos. The point is you're super, like, historian and research stuff, and I really appreciate that. Um, what's weird, though, to me, I was thinking about, is that I live through most of the stuff that you're researching, and I'm like, A, I'm old. That's normal. I say that a lot. But it's just crazy. Like, I remember some of my first memories were, like, Pong was still a thing, kind of. Like, it was around. People had them at garage sales. Like, you had a Pong system, and you brought it home, and you were like... Even back then, I was like, this isn't much of video games. But it still was something interesting. And then Atari 2600 was like the second coming. It was like, oh my goodness, we can play this at home and not in Chuck E. Cheese's or whatever. So it's just weird to me that like I, I went through all those processes, and then you're like delving back into that. Yeah, well, I think, I think there's sometimes a danger in relying on people's... I mean, okay, memory can be really good because oral histories are very important as well, but I think there's a danger in relying just on people's memories yes. of stuff to tell the story of it because a lot of people... I mean, A, when you're a kid, like, you're just making shit up. There was a wizard over there. I yeah. saw him. You are literally, like, I have this memory, and this is a really, really vivid memory for me. You do. I have this memory as a kid of seeing a caterpillar that looks exactly like the Pokemon Caterpie. That can't be right. Or can it? <laughs> I'm going to go with your childhood right. brain and say maybe so, it did But happen. in my head, that's like, yes. this is a really vivid memory for me. Mm -hmm. That's one that I can pretty obviously point out as like a fake memory, but like how often is that happening? Right. Are we going to remember tonight? Anyone in this room? <laughs> I remember um, it differently. I don't think it's usually that dramatic, and I think it's usually just people kind of like fudging the details a little bit on stuff. But it, you do enough of that, and it starts to just get really it does get blurry, yeah, which is why slope. things like magazines and uh, press releases and whatever you know, like the cold hard facts. This is what was said. Evidence yep. of something, yep. you know, what something was and what the reaction was to it, and all of that. That stuff's really important because. Yeah. You know, when you wrote it, and I'm not saying no one ever lies in the media, but like. Well, and also you change your opinion on them, which is interesting, sure. right? You know what I mean? Like, because I can take Dan a task, Dan Shu, on like one of his reviews, and I'm like, how'd you give that a four? You're like, you know, that was a good game or whatever. And so maybe he now thinks it's a seven, but it's in that moment, you know, it's yeah. on. Yeah, you, you get know. you get some interesting. Well, actually, there's a really good example of something like that. Um, you guys. So probably all heard that E.T. is the worst game ever, right? The Atari 2600, it ruined everything, yes. killed the game industry. Well, uh, we did some digging. Uh, I forget who did this, but someone who wrote an article for us at the foundation. And uh, E.T. wasn't even the worst reviewed game to come out that month. Oh, snap. Gorf reviewed Ooh, that's worse a bad game. Across the board. Across the board, it's people a terrible shooter. hated Gorf. Yeah. And... The reviews for E.T. were, like, pretty meh. They were just like, well, it's not that good, but it's fine. Like, Yeah, it's, it's what we tell the story. Exactly. So when, you know, when people start to conflate things in their memory or whatever. Oh. I mean, so the point is you can look back at this and say, clearly E.T. could not have ruined the game industry when it 
was reviewing okay. Like, it, that, okay. those two things can't be, can't yeah. both be true. And also, I don't think the industry, did the industry rely on those sales as much as they do now? Well, it, Atari's story is all about, like, projections versus, yes. you know, like, lofty projections versus... Yeah ones that are attainable and reasonable yeah i, I think they know? just they <laughs> talk about the crunch thing i think that's where that came from almost it's like they were like yeah do this and do this by christmas and make a brand new ip and and it has to be super successful even sure. though it probably it, didn't it need for, to be for shareholders and stuff just yes. constant explosive growth which is you yeah. know just never unattainable possible. well that took a different turn that i was not planning uh the point was <laughs> let's talk about old school video games okay and I thought of this uh, on the way over here. I was like, let me find five systems or consoles, because systems are computers as well. And like that really kind of made me think about games in a big way, where I was being like, oh, it's kind of interesting, but now I'm like really interested. So I came up with five, and you might have a couple. Yeah, I'll, I'll go with whatever I can pull out of, you know. Eth the ether? Yeah. I'll do a couple, <laughs> and then you do one and see what happens. Okay. So one of my first ones was, was ColecoVision. Did anybody have a ColecoVision? No? Oh, yes, The Age again. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, that's cut. This whole this podcast is mainly cut. It's just Kelsey. Uh, she's just saying smart things about video games, and I'm not here. Uh, ColecoVision was a terrible controller. Did you ever you see oh, yeah. one? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so bad. It's not, your a, thumb? No, no. not a good control. It's got a keypad like the Intellivision, but it had at the time arcade style graphics. So it had Donkey Kong that felt like Donkey Kong mm -hmm. in the arcade. It had Ladybug, which I loved. I don't know why, but I liked that game a lot. Uh, and then it had the Smurfs, which looked like cartoons back then. You see, it was the 1930s, and video games were just invented. Pre Smurfs, that doesn't make any sense. But. <laughs> It was very colorful, and I was That's like, That's the oh only my thing wrong with that statement, yep. <laughs> it was the 1930s. <laughs> the Smurfs weren't around. Um, yeah, so that was one of my first, and I was like, oh, arcade can be at home. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I totally identify with that, like, where you think that something looks just like a cartoon or just like whatever, and you go back now, and you're like, that doesn't, that's not even close, not you even know? Close. So what was yours like that? Well, I thought... The absolute, I remember reading this in Game Informer, actually, um, the absolute pinnacle of graphics. We were never going to su surpass this. This is photorealistic. We're done. Mm -hmm. It was Final Fantasy X. Oh, that's still pretty good. It is. At least the cutscenes and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they animated strands of hair. And I remember reading, like, that phrase and being like, oh, my God, we're, we're done. Like, we're we have perfected video games. It's, yeah. it's over. There's, where do you go from here? And, you know, I was younger, so that's obviously a pretty dumb way Oh, it's fine. I thought Ladybug <laughs> looked cool, so you're fine. It was a Ladybug that looked like a Sprite. Yeah, it's, it's a good-looking Ladybug. Well, no, you know what? It's funny. <laughs> it's a good-looking Ladybug. That's the name of this clip. Uh, what's funny is that it, it's a different reference point. I just realized that. So I was referencing Donkey Kong, and I saw in the arcade, in the arcade... It was like, that was the pinnacle, right, yeah. of graphics. So you go to a place because it's too high-end to have at home. Holy crap, this big cabinet. So I'm playing Donkey Kong going, like, this is the best graphics I've ever seen in my life. If it gets close to that at home, that equates in my brain that that's the best graphics. It right. doesn't mean it literally is the best graphics. They probably had some better somewhere. You know what I mean? 
And also, but you were, I, I think at that point, you're, like, not even thinking of, like, someday this is going to look like a photograph. Right. You know? Not at all. I'm like, like, it took it, until, like, the N64 for that to really, you know, PS1 and stuff, for at least for me, that to really feel like a concept. That, like, yes. we're working towards making it realistic. You know? That's <laughs> no, 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 I do. And that's actually a segue into my number two, which is TurboGrafx, one of my favorite systems of all time. Everybody knows that. I've done many videos on it. Is because they had the CD-ROM. And yes, PlayStation was... What's the CD-ROM? You're a historian. I'm glad I have one. I should know this. Okay, let's see. Did this TurboGrafx CD-ROM come out before the PlayStation 1? I want to say yes, because it was PC Engine. I want to say yes as well, but I don't actually know that. Did I stump the historian? I don't don't know every date and every like... Well, you are so good at so many (laughs) dates, though. I will say. We have someone who's looking it up, but... (laughs) <laughs> when they get back to us, look up uh, TurboGrafx CD-ROM and PlayStation 1, those two dates. But so for me, I was like, oh, audio? Like real audio? You mean like people talking and music? That wasn't done before, right? So that was the first time I was like, oh, I see what we could go There's this way. There's people talking in uh, Tales of Fantasia for the Super Famicom. Yeah, the, I know the chip, it and was, it was kind of distorted. It was, yeah, it doesn't sound very good, right. but that was like really cool. It was really cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, and in JJ Jeff, which is a cue card, this is deep in the video game talk now for anybody here. But he, uh, JJ and Jeff, Kato and Ken, that had talking, uh, like a light bit of talking or whatever. And so, yeah, those samples would be there. But There's they'd a be really like. There's really old SNK game that had it too. But I think it was, maybe that was in the arcade. Well, I think, it's, yeah, it, uh, like arcade games had it too. Like yeah. But even, I mean, arcade games, it still took them a pretty long time to get. People One. talking or yeah. voices or One was, singing or anything I like that. I think it was called Sinistron, I want to say. Um, but it was like, yeah, it was a shooter, and it was like a demon boss character in the shooter, and it would make the noise. It'd be like, you, what are you doing, human? And I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> that's it. I That's an AI that I don't want to fuck with. But, um, yeah, so Turbo was a huge one for me for that because it was like, oh, I can see what could be in the future. Yeah. What's another one for you that you were like, whoa, games? I don't know. I mean, every new console generation feels... I mean, at this point, I'm kind of like... I actually don't feel like it gets much better than this. Like, it can, but I, we're at the point where I don't think it's worth it anymore to make it look better. It's the, it's the uncanny valley for sure. Yeah. Because it's still not there yet because we watch amazing graphics and facial animations. Yeah. are like, wow, but it's still a game. But, like, I don't need anything to ever look better than like what the ps4 and the xbox one is capable of right well, now ps5 and xbox scarlet are coming so you know that new game just came out and if anybody listening uh, or at home it's called erica and it was announced at gamescom and it's the choose your own adventure with live action so people are bringing that back as well yeah i've noticed that that's kind of what are your thoughts on that it, it's interesting i mean if people are going to be into that again i mean what was the netflix thing that they bandersnatch yeah, so bandersnatch. good I, I think that is, like, its own kind of weird genre. But I think it works best as, like, a Netflix-style experience. And not on a game console. And not on a game console. Just because I think, they, like, it's a harder time to convince people to go back to that sort of thing. Well, it, but know. it is different because now you can, like, with the Erica one, you can use your phone. So they kind of, mm. like, be like, hey, it's a very casual experience for people in the room. And we're kind of doing a group thing. I just bring that up because, yeah, our Uncanny Valley for graphics is happening now. Like you said, what's further than that is Erica. It is this essentially interactive thing that just feels like a real person. That's just going backwards, though. Oh, 
I mean, yeah. well, in terms of, you know, we've had full motion video games for right. a very long time. Oh, um, it's going to look better now. Yeah. Right? Did you play Dragon's Lair a lot? I did. I meant more like, you know, Night Trap. Oh, and yeah, like Night Trap. <laughs> oh. And then, yeah, and Super Sega CD. Yeah, Sega CD. Yeah. Uh, the answer from the audience is? TurboGrafx yeah. came out in 1987. Well, no, that's, that's not the uh, No, the CD-ROM. CD oh, sorry, that was the CD-ROM. Okay. Oh, that's he's got to go back to work. That can't be right. PlayStation is December 3rd, 1994. PlayStation is 1994. TurboGrafx came out before then, but we're checking on the CD-ROM now. Yeah. The TurboGrafx is way, 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 way Yeah, because it was PC the... Engine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, let's move on, and we'll see if we get that <laughs> answer. What else did I have on my... Turbo Graphics, I wrote down. Oh, yeah, Turbo Graphics. Well, I already did that one. Commodore 64 was a big one for me, too. That's Commodore what you just said. No, Commodore 64. That was the first one you said. No, I said Turbo Graphics. The first one you said was Commodore. Did I say Commodore? Yeah. Wait, are we yeah. doing the thing where we don't know what just happened? We had a whole discussion about this. The memory thing? No, I was talking about Turbo Graphics. Before that, you were talking about the Commodore. No. Was I? No, you were talking about. Oh, you're talking about Coleco. ColecoVision. I'm sorry. You oh were talking goodness, about. I'm sorry. I you were talking about the Commodore. You were talking about. No, you were talking about the Commodore before we started the podcast. Yes, I was. That's why oh, I you just that. scared me. <laughs> what you said, which just almost came true. We didn't know what was happening. See? Yeah. And that was like five minutes ago. So this is and why you can't yeah. rely on people. We can't rely on anybody. I can't rely on you people. <laughs> that being or said, the best stuff comes from like the best research and the best history does come from people like interviewing people right oh that's not so i don't oxymoron? know you just, you just kind of have to accept that there's some level of like chaos yeah yeah there's some level we of were just chaos. talking about this before the podcast this whole thing is chaos i don't know how we're even doing this world this podcast You're getting too dark deep again. commerce 64 was big for me because it was showing me that a i can make my own games b a ton of people were making games and we were sharing them which was one of the first things back then, which was taking a floppy disk over to your friend's house, and they were copying games onto your floppy, and then you would take them home. It was the first shareware thing experience, or Napster type thing. But because of that, it actually uh, brought out the idea of new games. Like, we were all really uh, understanding of all the new games, because we were sharing them all together. It just felt like a really cool community of game making and, and game development. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. People are still doing stuff like that. It's just, it looks a little different now. But, like, the scene of making and sharing games and stuff online is still, like, yep. it's pretty big. Yeah. It was just, like, mechanically or technically challenged back then. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a lot more, um, like, analog. I mean, it's, like, Ugh. handing people stuff rather yeah, than, yeah. like, Yeah, which was kind of cool. <laughs> Again, it was a double-edged sword. I do like the idea of, you know, connecting to people and, yeah. What's the answer, uh, audience? Ah, uh, audience okay. is not just... No, okay. PC so Engine CD. No, the, the first CD-ROM add-on to the TurboGrafx came out in 1988. 1988 was the yeah. TurboGrafx CD-ROM, so yeah, so Yeah, yeah that absolutely and kicks the ass of the PS1. That's what I thought, but it was like many one of those things before. where I was like... Thank you, audience. A.K.A. Kyle. Thanks. This audience you know, is terrible. Actually, you know why this that tripped great. me up? I'll tell you something really funny. Um... That my my memory got weird there because uh, I was consulting sort of for um, Google and they had this. Uh, that sounds really impressive. It wasn't. No, no. It wasn't nearly I mean, as I impressive, impressive as that. But um, they wanted like a display of game stuff, and they sent us an email that said, "How about we show the first 
system with a CD, the PS1. And oh. I, at the time, I was like, no, that's not even close. And of course, I, you know, it's not even close. But for some reason, someone thinking that has stuck in my head enough to make me go like, which, which what is the first it? thing? Yeah, I think <laughs> it's I think it's a PC Engine. It, you're actually I right. It's before is. that one even because PC Engine came out before to graphics. So we've spent enough of this podcast Absolutely. talking about PC Engine to graphics. Uh, I'll link a, a video of me talking about it. Uh, last question: Does anybody have any questions in the audience about retro video games? Jason does. What's the question, Jason? Just one. We just need to. What was the coolest discovery you had when you were going through those archives? Mm. What's the coolest discovery you had while going through the archives? Uh, while going through Game Informer, is that? Yeah. Oh, there's some really good ones. Uh, personally, the best one was so I did a video on the Super Nintendo Extratainment bike, which is a stationary bike for the Super Nintendo. Hooks up to your console, but it is a you know several hundred pound actual stationary bike. Um, <laughs> you did a video on it, right? I did. Yeah. And I did a lot of research on that one. Oh my God. Um, my notes page, just like compiling sources and throwing like tiny little snippets. It was 27 pages long. Oh my goodness. And I think I spent at least 80 hours researching that one. And that video is what, like 10 minutes or something? It's like, you yeah, put a yeah, lot 10 or 15 like, or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because yeah, I've, scraped every corner of everything. I found the press the press kit at Game Informer. <laughs> so oh. all of this information that I had scraped from like, you know, this newspaper reported this tiny tidbit that they obviously pulled from the press release. This newspaper had this little piece and I had pieced that all together and so when I read through this press kit, I didn't miss anything. Nice. I didn't miss a single word on that press release. But There's also, much easier if you had the press release. Oh, yeah. That would yeah. have saved me, like, literally 50 hours. You were, like, um, uh, a detective but it doing was, the yard But it was things. really cool because I was like, man, I did good work because I didn't miss anything. Nice. <laughs> um, but other than that, uh, another really cool thing I found was the uh, original press kit for when Pokemon came to the States. And what's really cool about that was it came in this folder that's got kind of like the key art you've seen everywhere that's got like Ash and Pikachu and Misty and Brock all together and it's like a red background. At the top it says, Pokemon, catch them if you can. What? <laughs> all right, just a throwaway so, line. <laughs> that was their first catchphrase. Like that was the tagline they were going with for like maybe 30 days until they changed it. So there's very little, like, anything in the world. There's not, like, official merchandise that has it on there. It was all changed before they had, like, you know, before anything really went into production. But, like, it's on that press release. There it is. And uh, there's also a photo that we found from, I think it was E3 of that year, where you can see in the background a fuzzy, like, thing from the Nintendo booth catch that says, Catch me if you can. We have an audience interaction line. now. Yeah. Because the anime had already been in Japan for quite a while. Yeah. So, the, in fact, uh, the U.S.'s first, like, the first time that newspapers and stuff were reporting on Pokemon in Japan was, I don't know if you guys have heard of that episode that gave all the kids seizures. Oh, I... Yeah. So, that <laughs> oh, you was know really... That episode. was widely reported on in America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that was, like, It's still what warnings crap. are about now. Like, we still get warnings, I think, based on that. Yeah. Yeah, we had, so 
they obviously never aired that episode here, um, but that like made international news. So, <laughs> um, so yes, the they already had all of the characters and everything because the anime had been out in Japan for a while. Um, catch them if you catch can. Catch them if you can. If you can't, you know, like, it's like you might not. Yeah. Just, you know, if you're able to, if you feel if you're like able, it. You know, if you're feeling like it. The best part is I also learned that, um, you know, the intro song to the anime that ends with, Gotta catch em all, oh, yeah. Pokemon. Um, he had already written it for Catch Em If You Can and then was given, like, a couple weeks to, like, revise it. Wait, <laughs> what, what, do you, what do you think phrase? it sounded like? I don't know. Come on, do it real quick. We'll do it for well, the I'm video. I'm sure it's just the same thing, but Catch Em If, if you, you Can, can Pokemon, Pokemon, which is stupid. Really stupid. Oh, we did it. Yeah. yeah. Wait, so, yeah, the, the first version's stupid. Like, yeah. It sounds like you're, like, being lazy. Exactly. Just, yeah. you know, if you feel like it. Yeah, you feel to, like it. Yeah. Most people don't. Yeah. God it's Catch okay. Mall we won't is judge really you. powerful. Yeah. And has been blamed a lot in the media for, like, you know, you gotta, kids. You, you gotta, gotta buy it all. You gotta buy all. Marketing. Of, consume all of the stuff. Yeah. Uh, speaking of things <laughs> and stuff, you have a few things we can show on the YouTube video here. Sure. Do you have something with you? What I, a, what I you brought something really weird, because what else would I bring? Well, you, that's what I hope. I brought... You always show me things and I go, like, I don't know what that is. I've never seen it before. This is going to happen. It's going to happen again. going to happen. Um, have you ever heard of the Cougar Boy? Nope. <laughs> well, I have every game made by Sachin for the Cougar Boy. What? This it's is not the Wonder Boy, which I do know. Well, that's the, the Wonder, Wonder Boy. The What's the Wonder, Wonder Boy? Wonder Swan, I was thinking There you about. go. <laughs> what can I see with this? I'll show it. Oh, my goodness. Black Forest Tale. Wait. Let's show the camera. Do you have that. Snake Roy over there, the best one? Oh, I have Snake Roy. The best one? This is Snake Roy. Look at Snake Roy. Snake Roy is <laughs> just Roy. It's like a guy, <laughs> Roy, and he doesn't even look like a snake. Snake Roy is oh, my yeah, favorite. Oh, yeah, I guess he does now. Snake Roy. Snake Roy. It's like so Snake good. Jeff. It's like that. <laughs> this is amazing. Anyways, this is no yeah. no screens in the back though. No, of course not. So this is a, a Brazilian console. Um, it is the Whoa. Brazilian version of another console you haven't heard of called the Mega Duck. <laughs> no, I'm not heard of the Mega Duck. Why there's You're a Mega my Duck mind. and a Wonder Swan is oh. beyond my like. Because there's a special lake somewhere where a bunch of the <laughs> things on the lake are special yeah, magical you creatures. Got, you got Darkwing Duck, you got Wonder Swan. You got Darkwing Duck is like <laughs> bitching about both the other ducks. It's all the, all the super waterfowl. Um, magic maze. <laughs> I wonder how magic that maze is. What are the graphics like on these? Um, so I mean, it's like a Game Boy, but crappier with more, um, like, what do you call that? Like screen blur type stuff. Oh, the blur. Yeah, yeah, yeah ghosting. Yeah. Um, yes. With more of that, uh, it's yeah. It's uh, so let cool. me show you what you the cartridges it? look like. Um, someone in Brazil was just selling this full set, and I was like, heck yeah, I'll take a full Cougar Boy set. For your <laughs> company? For my collection. Oh, for just you personally. specifically. Okay, yeah. Because we haven't mentioned it before, but we might mention it at the end of the show, but you uh, co-own Pink Gorilla. I do. And that oh. is a great place with a bunch of this stuff. W would these show up there, or are these your personal collection? This is my personal collection. Okay. Um, I don't know. So they look another... Oh my goodness, have, hold you, on. have you heard of the Watara Supervision? No. Okay. Every word you say, I don't understand. <laughs> which is why you're say, here. You might recognize these because they look like Watara Supervision games. Oh, that wouldn't work on me. Anyway, I was laughing at this. This is called Railway, and the guy he's a train with a face. Yeah, it's but like, he looks super sad. Yeah, it's like a creepy. He's like, atomic, I might Thomas die right now. No kid's gonna want to play this sad train. So this is what the cartridges look like. Oh, they look like uh, Game Gear. Kind of? Kind of. Well, I, or Game Boy? To me, they look like Game Boy, but like with protruding 
pins rather yeah. than nice protected ones. Um, they all come with this little catalog. So this is all the all the Sachin games. There they are. I have all of them. Gotta I get. I actually wait. haven't like gone through and checked, but I'm pretty sure I have all. Of them. Might want to get them all. Yeah, <laughs> gotta catch them all. Got to eat it if you want to. <laughs> this is so cool. Um, yeah, I thought you might enjoy that just because it's a very odd console. Um, I like the covers. I'm, a, I'm obsessed with covers. And yeah. These are ridiculous ones. And this was inspired entirely by uh, the fact that when last time I was at the Video Game History Foundation offices, we were going to our storage units and pulling stuff out to bring back to the office. And uh, Frank had like 13 Mega Duck games. And I was like, what? these are just sitting in storage. Like, I want your Mega Duck games. And of course he said no. And I pouted. What's, and a, what's a name, a title of a Mega Duck game? It's, it's all of these. It's the same thing. Oh. It's just, this is the Brazilian version. Oh, and that's like okay. China, Taiwan, um, some other places. I thought there was like a mascot about a duck. No. This is called, uh, this, this is uh, two creatures that are hands. <laughs> but the name of the game is Magic Tower. Because, you know, that makes sense. <laughs> I They're also hands. really like... Um, that Arti Arctic is misspelled as Arctic on this. <laughs> or and is it spelled just correct? And it's, uh, I thought, I'm like, well, okay, maybe it's on purpose, but then if you look at the catalog here, it's spelled correctly on the catalog. Oh, they just messed this box up. <laughs> they just messed the whole box up. Which makes it worth more money. I don't That's think so. That's what I learned, okay. <laughs> Uh, what else do you have? This is so cool, though. Yeah, this is this is great. Uh, hold on, let me get. Nah, I'll figure we it can out. Keep them out here. I didn't actually bring that much. I just thought no, you just guys even might a couple things. Thought you might like YouTube that. I'm going to show it. you some stuff that's the kind of stuff that we collect at the foundation. Yes, just this a is small what I want. a small sampling of okay. stuff. Um, you like magazines like EGM, Game Informer. Uh, you know, those are those are cool magazines. They're very important. They, people wrote actual articles about things. And um, well, you know, Circuit City and like a bunch of other just random retailers would sometimes just make these random like one-off magazines. They write articles yeah. in them. <laughs> They're freelancers, right? Like yeah, mostly it's, well, just I mean, I don't know. It's got coupons in here. Those are like, helpful. Lots of ads. I mean, it's you know, you have to know if this is put out by Circuit City, it's, like, to sell games, right? Oh, yeah, like, yeah, they're yeah. not being objective in any All the reviews are like, all the games are great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You so, should buy all of them. <laughs> um, but this is the kind of stuff that, I mean, people collect Nintendo Power. People hang on to the magazines that, like, had real editorial and that meant something to them. No one hold, holds on to this stuff. Right. No one holds on to, like, the free Circuit City and, you know, there are some video rental stores had them, and it's like just kind of ads. But like sometimes there's some information in something like this that might not be anywhere else. And Maybe then you wonder how they got that information. Yeah. Like, hey, Circuit City, we're going to give you a scoop. Really? Or maybe we're they Circuit just bothered City. to report on something that no one else did, like right. something really crappy, you know? Yeah, I, yeah, right? Yeah. So that's cool. This is the kind of thing that's actually really hard to find. Nintendo Power can get expensive, but it's not hard to find. Right, you know what I mean? people have them sealed up, and they're like, yeah, of course and, they have all of them. And it was so widely circulated, right? But these all just ended up in the trash. No one no one thought to hold on to that. Um, same with things like this PAX 2011 oh, yeah. show guide. Those are always done very well. Show guides in general are so illuminating because it will have 
stuff that maybe never came out. It'll have, you know... Right, a whole panel about this game that doesn't exist. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. So, um, I don't know if there's anything super interesting in here, but the point is, like, this is something you have on you when you're at PAX in 2011, and then you throw in the garbage can afterwards. If you're a monster, I mean, come on. <laughs> you should <laughs> you keep, keep your stuff. Yeah, I do. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. I'm actually, like, Need more people obsessive. Like you. Yeah. Um, you, you're speaking my language when you talk about here's, this stuff. Here's the funniest one that absolutely no one is even buying, let alone uh, saving. Do you know how many Fortnite magazines there are? Oh, like just be, just for Fortnite? Just Fortnite. Do you know how who many publishes Fortnite? Who publishes it, though? Uh, they're all UK companies. Oh, uh, okay. They're almost Games all, Master presents. Almost all magazines We've all heard right them now before, are being right? printed in the UK. No offense, Games Master. In terms of video game magazines, at least. Um, so no one's buying these and holding on to them. Like, maybe... Maybe someone's able to convince their mom because these are like ten to twelve dollar magazines. Ooh. Yeah. So and you don't get like a subscription, especially not in the United States. Um, and a lot of these have like a U.S. version that's sold in Barnes and Noble for like but four or not, five more dollars. Yeah, but there's not like a subscription you can get in the yeah, U.S. Yeah, like you buy them one by one. Yep. Yeah. At Barnes and Noble, and in the U.K. they have a slightly different version that maybe you can get a subscription to in the U.K. But I don't know. I want to also point out that this is 100% unofficial. Yeah. So we're not affiliated with them at all. <laughs> but, but they make money off the idea and the yeah. strategies. But when people talk about, like, you know, how do you preserve stuff like Fortnite where it requires 100 people playing or, you know, whatever at once, and that someday that's just going to be gone and you can't, you know, 50 years from now, Fortnite is not going to still be running, right? Yeah. Sorry, streamers. It, well, I mean, maybe there'll be, like, Fortnite 5 or whatever. I don't oh, know. that's but true. Like, Never mind. I'm probably wrong. There's a Minecraft 12 and a Fortnite maybe, 73. I mean, I don't know. We, we have no idea how that's going to work yeah. out. But, you know, logically, it's probably just not going to be around eventually. And there's not, like, other than the Internet, and hopefully people are archiving their streams and stuff, but, like, how do you get just sort of the basic Fortnite information 50 or 100 years from now, it's like, yeah. that's what these magazines are, and no one's buying them. So, yeah, we're buying Fortnite magazines Buy Fortnite for magazines and give them to Kelsey. We need <laughs> these. Uh, you know what's interesting about that is the tangent of, yeah, these digital games, which we kind of didn't touch on, but digital games being much more difficult to preserve, all the kind of um, accoutrement around it that we need to hold on to because that'll, like, tell us what we were playing and experiencing. But, yeah, we like, are, is your foundation working on that stuff, too? I'm not an engineer. Um, a lot of that stuff is being worked on by other organizations. Um, the Strong Museum of Play is doing a pretty good job of, uh, like, okay, a lot of the ways that people are trying to capture that, especially when it comes to things like World of Warcraft or Fortnite, where it's, like, this very online experience, and there's not even, you know, forget digital-only games. That's a whole other conversation. But for this... Um, what a lot of people are doing, the best way to preserve this stuff is to take record of it. So gameplay footage and, um, you know, just recording kind of the experience. And someone, I forget who told me this, but someone gave me a really, really good uh, kind of parallel to compare it to. When you have, when you talk about like baseball games, historically, we don't preserve the players. We don't preserve like someone's not going to go back and recreate that game. We have, like, video and the stats and, uh, you know, 
in the newspapers, they just run like the statistics and maybe a short little blurb about what happened in the game. And I think that's how people are going to be treating these online experience games as well. It's like we're taking record of how they happened and what happened in this. But not this. during. Um, but you can't like go back and, you know, 100 years from now, you can't make World of Warcraft the same way it was and have like a one-to-one. Like you could host a server and make it look all like vanilla World of Warcraft, but it's not the same. Yeah. The things that happened and the experiences people had and everything, yep. that's, you know. And that, I think that goes to what I wrote down is that the, the streaming aspect of it, right? So yeah. you earlier alluded to the idea of streamers, AKA Twitches of the world and mixers of the world of capturing this footage and keeping it. Yeah. By default, I think Twitch and Mixer don't do VODs. And you've got to like go and say, I want to capture And even this then, video. I think they only keep them for 30 days. So like download them and I know. re-upload them. But then again, that's not safe. something that's being told to someone. I'm going like, hey, you know what? This isn't really safe forever. Yeah. You need to also But there, it. there are some organizations. I can't remember. I think it's called Long Plays or something Long Plays. That's an organization that's doing like long plays you know, long plays of things and just kind of keeping that and being like, this is the experience of this game. Right. And that's how we can preserve it beyond like the code and all yeah. of that stuff. Um, I mentioned the Strong Museum of Plays doing a pretty good job with that. They're both recording footage of stuff like mobile games and, um, you know, anything digital. They're saving anytime they have code that they can save, they do. Um, I directed a couple of like indie developers to them. Uh, most recently, there was a guy who made a couple digital-only games on the Wii U, and he was like, these are going to disappear. What do I do? And I said, talk to Andrew at the Strong Museum of Play. He'll take all your code. He'll you know, make it so that someday in the future, maybe someone could recreate that. But that process seems like still so one-to-one. It is. There's and no yeah, full there's process not like, for it. So. And games are full of so many just it's such a secretive business everyone wants to like keep everything so tightly wrapped like it's not like people are just handing over this stuff in mass it's like coming from the indie devs and stuff those are the people who are comfortable with someone looking at this again and maybe you know maybe doing something bad with it someday like if right. you put your code online someone maybe makes a, a bootleg of it and sells it or you know i mean that's the fear that a lot of these developers have um you know one of the many fears and it is a risk that you take by making any of this like accessible in any way. I think maybe a way around that is that you know, the wait till the game is out and then talk to organizations like that. Well, of course. Like, yeah, yeah. Okay. We're, before we're not going to tell you, and then afterwards, maybe there's a grace period where, I don't know. It's the lawyers, tricky. The lawyers don't. The like lawyers. It. They're like Carlos. <laughs> it's listen, not. It's shut not up. just. None the of this going to happen. It's, but the, I mean, you know, going back to what we talked about earlier, I mean, that is like those steps towards industry acceptance. That's the advocacy right. we are working on is, you know, slowly convincing people that it's not scary to someday let a researcher look at this stuff. <laughs> just and let us look at it. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> you know, it's funny. We, we talk about saving data, and I just, there's one last tangent is um, for the longest time, I didn't want to get a phone or do any of the, the iPhone or the Apple iTunes or all that stuff. I'm sounding like an old person. And I just wanted my MP3 player because I knew that it would always have those files on it. I didn't need service and all that bullshit. And they still sell them. They're out there. But I had this Arcos. Do you remember Arcos? Again, blank stares. Doing really well with the uh, calling things out. But Arcos was 
the best like MP3 video, anything you wanted to put on a player, and it's all digital downloads of the actual content. So I could take any format, right? AVIs, MP4s, I mean, anything you can think of. To this day, my computer has a hard time with AVIs, but like this thing could do anything, right? And I could bring it with me anywhere I wanted, the desert, anywhere, and know that these things, like almost like retro gaming, was with me, and I had to worry about it. So for me, I always loved, and I, up until just recently, you know, now I'm on Spotify, now I'm on the things where it's either real and it's not real. But I do like that idea of knowing that I have something and it's for real. Yeah. Owning something is, it's weird that people are it pretty accepting towards not owning music. And uh, yeah, what's wrong with not, you people? Not quite as much with a lot of other things. Like there's a way bigger pushback for physical video games and stuff than there ever was for music. Interesting. It's kind of interesting. It is, because then there's a whole record CDs discussion. Ah, that's another one. Okay, here's the last question for you. Okay. And then we're done. Uh, if you could, I'm going to read it like real dumb. <laughs> if you could, this comes from Jimmy at the internet. If you could go back in time and experience one console or system at the time it came out, which would it be? Oh, gosh, what a great question. Thanks. It was Jimmy <laughs> on the internet. I don't know. Or was it James? I don't know. What did I say? I think it's got to be the NES. And you didn't get to because no. you not. No, I was not enough. around. Sorry. It's okay. But <laughs> So tell me why. Well, the NES rejuvenized, like, free and, you know, it sparked a whole new game industry. That was what pretty much brought America out of the video game crash. And, you know... If there are any European listeners, they're like, we didn't have a video game crash. I know, but <laughs> <We're> <laughs> about the but US we right did. Now. Yeah. So <laughs> we were we weren't touching video games for like a solid two to three years, um, and the NES was it was. I mean, the story of the NES coming out here is like a miracle in and of itself. I mean, the, Nintendo was taking all of these crazy chances that they would never ever ever take today, um, and it was like. You know, it, it's they're cold selling these systems, just knowing that they are literally good enough. They would say, "You can buy this, and you can return it for a full refund if you hate it." Like, you know, all the risk on Nintendo. They weren't, you know, the uh, sorry, the contracts they had with these toy stores. Um, like the first, I think it was FAO Schwartz in uh, New York City was the first place mm -hmm. that sold it. Um, it was like. There's no risk to you. You only pay us for the inventory once it's gone. They're like, it's that good. Yeah. It, you're you're really fine. Well, I mean, it, it's not even that it was that good. It's like, that's the only way you can convince anyone to touch a video game again. Because they're oh, done. Oh, they, they had to do that. Yeah, they had Interesting. to. Interesting. And thankfully, it was good enough. And people were, like, starting to catch on. Started doing pretty well. I mean, it was, you know, slow ramp up. People say the NES came out in 85. Technically true. Only in New York, though. Um, then spread to like LA and Chicago and all these other test markets. I wonder if really I got in. I was upstate New York. Do you think it was still the same or just the city? Oh, that's a great question. I'm pretty sure it's just New York City. Oh, okay. 
If you got an NES in 85, that's impressive. I think I and, might have. And it's worth some money, those oh, boxes. Oh, no, let's not talk about that. Oh, worth like crazy this money if you had any of those. This is the side thing I didn't want to talk Matt about. Matt sticker oh, sealed boxes. I had all that stuff. And my First mom would print do print black box NES games. That was probably, I had all those. My mom said this thing <laughs> to me when I was a kid. She's like, listen, don't do what I did. She sounded like this too. And she goes, she still sounds like this. Uh, she goes, don't do what I did and, and forget to save these things. And I had like these Ken dolls or whatever, you know, and they were like, now they're worth millions of dollars. I had all that stuff. Where'd it go? Garage sales? Terrible. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's okay. A sticker sealed, so the very first print of uh, Super Mario Brothers. Um, to make you feel worse. Yeah, okay. yes. The very first print of these black box games was uh, not sealed in shrink wrap. It just had this matte... Yes, sticker the sticker that said Nintendo on it that sealed it. Um, a sticker sealed Super Mario Brothers sold for one hundred thousand dollars. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> this podcast is over. I'm just gonna go cry <laughs> in a drink. That's that is the comic collectors coming over to the retro gaming space, by the way, which oh, is fascinating. Yes. So that's its own topic, but. Um, but Nintendo, that's Anyways, what you wanted. Yeah, you wanted to do Nintendo because that was that big moment for you. It was, was it's the big like reawakening of the video game industry, yeah. and it, you know, people were. Nintendo Power was like a really interesting thing too because, this is a magazine to sell you more Nintendo products, and people were obsessed. Yeah, people were paying money. To have more stuff sold to them. Well, I'll tell you why though, because I again lived through <laughs> well, this. Yeah, very good editorial. It's too. very good it's editorial, but mainly, mainly, it was the strategy guides. So they would do this yeah, thing. They too. would break down like yeah. the literal digital screens in the magazine, and you were like, "That's exactly where I am. I'm right there. I need to get to there." Yeah. Oh, that's how you do it. And again, it was simple enough that it was just 2D kind of platformy stuff. A lot of it. So you're like, "Oh, well, I'm going to get that because that's going to always help me out." Because back then, they also had 1-800 numbers that you would yes. call and be like, "Hey, Jeff Smith, uh, whoever is working here." Uh, I need help with Zelda. And they're like, please pay $5. <laughs> There's well, a, they didn't sound like that. Uh, are you going to the Portland Retro Gaming Expo this year? In I, I want to go, yes. yes I, okay. Yes. So at the Portland Retro Gaming Expo this year, That's hopefully. October. Yes. 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 Um, and I'm maybe I shouldn't reveal this yet because I don't know. Maybe it won't happen. No, reveal it. Reveal but it. Reveal fine. it. Um, there's a guy who is has been collecting like Nintendo helpline stuff, and he's recreating a uh, Nintendo game counselor like their whole desk. He's got their their guides, like That's the binder so cool. they had with all of the stuff. He has one of their CRTs that they had on their desk. I don't know why <laughs> someone says that. Just for ambiance. Not only that, a desk phone, the real desk phone from a Nintendo game oh. counselor. Does it have Nintendo in it? No. Oh. Like, why did someone save that? It's a random desk phone. Yeah. But it's the one yeah. that was there. That's so cool. Um, and a bunch of other, you know, just like little plaques and awards and the kind of stuff that you might find on yeah. someone's desk if they've been working a place for a long time. So um, that'll be really cool to see. That will be cool. Yeah. We'll have to film that. Uh, well, that's, I think that's our time. And thank you so much for telling me all these great stories. Of course. Round of applause for Kelsey Lewin, please. Thank uh, you. Thank you for being here and, and bringing these. By the way, <laughs> I so want to collect these now because right? they're so ridiculous. You, I think you can still buy this full set on eBay. There were like two left. Oh, really? Last I